This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hi, it's Marco Flalo on behalf of Mitchell Whitfield and myself. Thank you so much for taking a listen to this podcast. Do us a little favor if you would. If you love the show, give us a five-star review, and don't forget to follow us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. We appreciate it, and we love doing the show for you guys. Without further ado, here's today's episode. Welcome back to Your Tech Report. For gadget news and reviews, click to yourtechreport.com. We are back on Your Tech Report. Thank you guys so much for being along for the ride. If you want to join us on all our social media, it is at Your Tech Report, uh, specifically Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, etc., etc. Um, our next guest is the product a product manager of the LCD lineup for a company that you are very familiar with if you listen to this show. And that company is ViewSonic. Ray Hedrick, welcome to Your Tech Report. Thank you for taking the time out of my, I must be a really busy week to join us in talk all about monitors and gaming monitors and home entertainment it's so much fun to have you here yeah yeah thank you thank you for having me mark i'm definitely really busy these days but uh, that's a good thing a lot of new products and uh working hard with our supply chains to get those products you know, Ray, as I alluded to, we've had various people from ViewSonic on the show over the past, I mean, seven years that we've been doing this, talking all about things from projectors to gaming to business to, I mean, I, I consulted with a, with a product manager myself just to figure out what was the best monitor to use on the pro side of things for, for um, video editing. So we're not, we're not unfamiliar with the brand, but for those of us and those of our audience who are just joining us now, I mean, ViewSonic's been around since 1987. Uh, what's your involvement? How long have you been with the company? And where did you kind of start and, and bring us to today? Yeah, uh, I have been with the company since uh, the end of 2019. So I was sort of working in the office for a little while before everything shut down <laughs> and uh, we became a work from home. So it's been about a year and a half now. And uh, it's been it's been a really it's been a really fun ride. Did, um, did I, you did you find that transition to be a little bit more difficult because of the time in which you, you joined the company? Because obviously monitors it's a there's a really physical element to things so not being physically in an office where you can see the products and see what's going on in the new things was it harder than do you think an average person uh it definitely i think you ask anyone though they'll tell you there's a unique set of challenges that comes around from uh working from home i think that we actually were very lucky we put ourselves in a pretty good place from an it standpoint we had started standardizing on a lot of cloud systems and making it so that remote work was very feasible even before we had a specific need for it um so then when we did have to do it we we were actually pretty well prepared so, you know, we're here to talk today specifically. Um, we want to focus the conversation a bit about gaming because over the past year, especially during the pandemic that we're still kind of hopefully at the tail end of here, gaming, we saw an incredible resurgence of gaming. And not that it wasn't growing before, but I think this focus on being home led to more and more people having a little bit more time to dive into gaming and get more involved in it. What are some of the trends that you might have seen over the past couple of years in terms of the growth of that industry and how it affected the, the monitor market? 
Sure. Um, yeah, I, we've seen incredible growth uh, on on the gaming side of monitors, and that's been industry wide. Um, from my standpoint, you know, if you're a normal person, you budget a certain amount of money for fun. So if that fun means that you can't go on trips anymore because you're not going to board a plane, then you might have some funds left over to do other types of fun. So that's when you might start investing into PC gaming, PC hardware. Um, this last year, we saw an incredible amount of new product being released on on like game consoles, new graphics cards, new CPUs. Um, so there's a lot of excitement on the hardware side and monitors kind of have to be there to support it. And uh, there was a lot of demand there to, to, to build those awesome systems. So when someone's shopping for, for a new gaming monitor these days, what are the important, I mean, we can dive into bits and bytes, you know, all day long and try to break down the specs of a monitor, but what are really, in your mind, the top three most important things that will help someone decide which monitor is best for them? Sure, sure. Well, um, any monitor purchase, gaming or otherwise, you probably have some sense in your head about the screen size, right? Right when you start out, um, you, there's a size you're comfortable with. There's a size that you want to go up to. Whatever it is, that's probably where you start. That's where most of our customers start any monitor purchase. So once you've decided on a size, the the really important things for gaming are going to be the refresh rate and whether or not it has some type of adaptive sync technology where that monitor can synchronize itself to your graphics card or your console, whatever it may be, uh, to give you a really nice, smooth gaming experience. Have you seen people, um, you know, with with esports? I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, those two things are extremely important, and we're seeing, uh, especially ViewSonic, has been, you know, on the cutting edge. Have kind of grown with the esports trend that has been going on. What are some of the trends you might be seeing on on that space? Are we seeing those professionals or those people who are are gaming from home uh, on the professional side of things? Are they leaning towards something a little different or is it really the same kind of ballpark? Uh, interestingly, when you're talking professional esports teams, there is a spec that they will buy to and that is the only spec that they want. It's uh, very much like uh, you know, baseball players in their bats or uh, tennis players in their rackets. It's really a tool that they need to get that job done. Um, so they know exactly what they want and uh, they will only use that spec. If you're talking a little bit more casual, there's a bunch of different monitor sizes and refresh rates and price differences where you can go, you know, th th that'll work great for that category. But usually the professionals, they know what they want. Are you seeing are you seeing any kind of um, kind of median, I guess, in the in the monitor size these days of terms of what people are buying? Is there is there one range? Is it maybe like the 30, 32? Does that seem to be like the middle ground where people seem to be hovering towards or are people still, you know, are people still buying 24 inch monitors these days? Yeah, they are actually. Um, in fact, 32 is on the very high end of the of the monitor size. Oh, really? um, yeah, that, that's, that, that is on the bigger size. We are getting more traction in the gaming space with ultra-wides that also have pretty pretty long diagonals, but 24-inch uh, is actually the bread and butter for monitor sales in general. Um, once you get into gaming and you're sort of mid-grade, high-grade gaming, 27 is also pretty popular. And in general, the trend is, is upward. So as we go farther in time, it's going to continue to trend upward. And so we are looking at high-end 32 as a really important space for us as well. Um, but that is a space that is just really coming online for the industry. So do you consider a 32, would that be considered ultra-wide? Uh, it depends. 
And the ultra wide is dictated by by that aspect ratio. So how square is that screen? So um, uh, our lineup that we're that we're working on right now is a is a set of thirty two inch sixteen by nine. So sort of the normal aspect ratio. But um, we are also um, developing you know twenty one by nine, which is that wider aspect ratio monitors as well. And ultra wide can go beyond that, can go all the way up to thirty two by nine on the market. Um, but anything that's really wider than than sixteen by nine. We, we consider ultra wide. Now, it, are, are there challenges when creating a monitor, technologically speaking, that is that wide? Are we are we still using one physical panel, or does it get to a point where we need to use more than one panel to get that kind of real estate? And I'm talking about some of like the 40 plus, you know, ultra wides that I'm seeing on, on people's desks. I look at that, going, my God, that's that's a big spreadsheet if you want to work on that 49 inch ultra wide monitor. But that seems a little bit overkill for me at this point. Uh, they definitely are very large monitors. In terms of manufacturing, I'm not aware of any real challenges that uh, they run into because a lot of those hurdles were already kind of done by the by the TV industry. And um, typically, the larger you go in a monitor, when you're talking, you know, 40 plus, um, the panels that they use get closer and closer to what the TV industry uses for their 55 inch or 60, 65 inch and whatnot. And so it's sort of like cutting a cake and you can cut that cake whatever size you need it to be. Curving it adds a little bit more complexity, but um, manufacturing these days of electronics is so good. Uh, they can do that in mass pretty easily. You know, Andre, I want to you know transition a bit to talk about the home because, um, you know, when you think about monitors and you think about just displays in the home, ViewSonic has a storied history of, of being on the desk of, you know, whether it's a home user, a gamer, a business user, monitors are absolutely everywhere. But there's a huge, you know, aspect of your product lineup that kind of dives into the home theater side of things with projectors and new laser technology. Um, are we seeing that market continue to grow for ViewSonic or is this something that the TV side of things has kind of taken over a bit? Um, definitely, if you're talking about the main screen that you're going to be watching most of the time, that's going to be the TV. And that's kind of always been the case. Um, for us, I I don't think that our strategy has ever been that, you know, we need to get people off their TVs yeah. and, and to a projector because I don't think that strategy has really ever worked. Um, where we are seeing success is in our lineup of, of more portable monitors and entertainment monitors because quite frankly, people want a monitor to have, you know, movie night in the backyard and they want, you know, a fun uh, projector that they can take camping with them or, or do some gaming on the ceiling. You know, they're, they're really fun products. And um, we do offer some very serious theater products for those people who really have a dedicated theater space. Um, and that's an experience all, all, all in itself. It's actually far more cinematic than any TV just by nature of it being a projection. Yeah. Um, but that's a different market. And so for us, the, the real growth vector, real excitement is on that more consumer electronic side where they are fun things to own. And are people just, you find they're really just trying to, you know, give themselves that movie theater experience in their backyard? Is it really just one of these devices? I know on the business side of things, when portable projectors first came out, it was a great tool because you could plug your phone into it, you could plug your laptop into it and give presentations on the go. and didn't have to worry about walking into a boardroom that might not be prepared for the presentation that you're giving. But I think we've graduated a lot where, the you know, the average boardroom today, if it's not on Zoom, um, will be will be fairly equipped. So are we seeing the growth of the portable side really more on the consumer than on the business side? 
Uh, right now we are simply because um, a lot of business travel has been very limited for the past year, but I do expect that that will change um, because we were getting uh, a very good amount of business from, especially we have a kind of a class of, of 1080p high brightness, but still very portable projector. And, and the portability there is not so much that it's battery powered. The portability there is you can put it in a bag and shake it around. And it's not going to damage it, which yeah. is something that a home projector, they're actually pretty delicate items. They're meant to be mounted. Um, so these are very rugged projectors. And uh, especially in the medical field, they really do love it for giving presentations. As you say, um, those boardrooms are getting a lot better. Um, but we're coming to find that the boardrooms in some cases are actually getting torn out because of the new you know, work from home strategy and back to the office strategies. A lot fewer boardrooms. And so uh, it allows a presentation just on any wall space that you have available. So I think that flexibility is going to be really important. Now, you guys are making incredible strides when it comes to, you know, 4K UHD and projection, even laser projection. Is this something that actually blows my mind? Is that technology eventually going to trickle its way down to that portable market? Or do you think that we've hit a sweet spot in that kind of 1080p space on the portability side? Uh, I do think so on our side because we build... uh, exclusively we build DLP based projectors. So those are, their resolution is really uh, predicated on what's called a DMD chip. It's a tiny, tiny little chip uh, made by Texas Instruments that is just covered in mirrors. And the mirror either sends the light through the lens to your wall or it reflects it to the inside of the projector where there's a little black space that that it can send that that excess light to. Uh, And that kind of determines if the pixel is on or not. And so for a given resolution, you need one mirror for every single pixel. Um, So right now they've gotten that 4K resolution down to, I think about an inch and a half size chip. Uh, And again, those are mirrors that are physically moving, 8 million of them. So absolutely, I think there is space for that technology to continue to advance and to make it smaller and smaller and smaller. I don't see any reason why they would stop doing that. Um, So yes, absolutely. Um, on the laser side, um, that's all down to really heat management. As long as we can get what we call an engine or a laser engine that produces that light to be, say, 100 watts or less, then absolutely we can get that into a portable uh, package. It's just a matter of are you going to get the brightness that you want? So you, you kind of do that trade off how much power you're willing to consume versus what brightness you're going to get. And right now, LED is better at that, um, but I can see laser and it's really high brightness capabilities becoming the technology that can do that as well. Yeah, I mean, when I think back to, you know, when I think anybody thinks projection, they think about, okay, I need the darkest room in my house because it's not going to be, I need, you know, it's going to be a certain brightness. But I think we've graduated a little bit beyond that point because the, the technology in the projection systems themselves are super bright and you could have a window open with the sun blaring in and you could still see that image. Uh, Ray, if you were to, you know, kind of look and, and prognosticate a couple couple years down the road from now, where do you see this industry growing? Where where do you think the focus is going to, you know, be? Is it gonna is it gonna continue to to just kind of grow steadily across all different markets, or do you think that you know maybe home theater might become a bit more more important for people because they're home more? I, I don't know, it's, it's it's more of an opinion here than a than a fact, obviously. 
Yeah, I mean, it's really down to what, where the consumer trends go. So if we do see a, a building and people having those dedicated theater spaces, especially now, and, and personally, I, I do think that's where it's going. We're seeing a lot of sort of big office, big box office Hollywood hits going straight to streaming. So um, it makes a lot more sense now than it ever has to have that really dedicated theater space. And I do think that we'll see growth in that. Um, the other one is, is people really um, are are really liking using projectors for things like uh, holiday decorations and, and stuff yeah. like that, stuff that they can project on their windows and stuff. So I, I think as that technology gets even better, um, we're going to see a lot more whimsical use of projectors as they become smaller, more affordable. You can even have multiple of them. You can do some really cool stuff with that. You know, Ray, before I let you go, you touched upon something interesting, which was those theatrical releases that are going to be, you know, the one I can think of right now this week is Black Widow going to be released on, on Disney Plus at the same time that it's going to be available in theater. So people will have that choice, whether they want to go get that, that movie theater experience if they're comfortable doing so, or they can actually do it at home, which is a very interesting and a big shift. So it leads me to the question, which is how... How driven are you guys in terms of um, innovating based on where the market is going? Is that the, the sole driver that says, okay, this is how we're going to project things? Or, or do you wait and kind of see and, and gauge customer feedback as to what the next big thing might be? There's definitely a bit of both. So we, we definitely do need that feedback from customers. But um, you have to be a little bit brave and to, and to take your bets on where things are going to go. Uh, otherwise, you're never going to be a leader. So um, we do we are very conscious not only of you know where we think what we think people are going to use them for, but where the technology is going to be, um, what our technology partners like Texas Instruments are going to have on their roadmaps uh, and try to build those products that we think that someone in three or four years, whatever it may be, is really going to want uh, what's that use case, who's that customer and, and build it to them. So there is there's a bit of both. We do get feedback on the current stuff, but for the future stuff, you do have to you have to place your bets. Ray, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It's always great to hear, speak to you guys um, here on your check report. Uh, again, Ray Hendrick, manager, uh, product manager of one of the LCD lineups over at ViewSonic. Uh, we'll touch base as we always do uh, throughout the year and keep talking to more and more uh, different departments at ViewSonic and talk about all the different innovations that you guys have coming down the road. I appreciate your time and, and thank you for being with us. Thank you so much, Mark. It's been great. You are listening to Your Tech Report. Please follow along on all our social media. It is at Your Tech Report. We're going to take a quick break and come back and bring on some new friends of the show. A couple guys from Sharp Home Electronics USA. Stick around. Your Tech Report will be right back. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. <laughs> 